turn in your copy of the scriptures, God's Holy Word, to Mark chapter 6. little moment of housekeeping. We need your help. Uh, we really need your help today. We, uh, we actually, one thing that Travis didn't mention, next, uh, tomorrow, we are sending a group of teenagers and adults to, to one of our partner church plants, one of the churches we are helping start in Gladewater, Texas. They leave tomorrow and a group of uh, about, I think it's 18 total going, and there was an illness, there is an illness in one of our cars that was supposed to take them, can no longer go, and so we have an adult that can drive, a very responsible seasoned adult that is able to drive, but we need a car. We need, a, we need someone that has an extra car, who can go without a car from Monday to Friday of this week. I know this is a weird ask. But I'm just being honest, like this would be such a godsend if one of you had a car, an extra car sitting around that's reliable. It's got to get there and back. It's a three-hour drive, and uh, it's just, it's hard to get. We can't go rent up one right now. You, as you know, if you try to find a rental car right now, you cannot do it. And so this is a dilemma that God's people can help resource. And so if you've got a car and you'd be willing uh, to help a very seasoned uh, adult, a responsible adult, take this. That Maybe this can be your way of partnering with the Lord and what he's going to do. If you have that, would you find me or Travis uh, quickly after this service? Is that fair? All right. So there were three pastors who went to a convention together just to learn things about God and to sharpen their, uh, sharpen their sword, so to speak. And they were all staying in the same hotel room and when they got there, they sat down together, and one of the pastors said, Hey, brothers, as we're here and while we're here, why don't we confess our secret sins to one another? He said, I'll start. And he said, I, I want you guys to know that my secret sin is I love to gamble. When I go out of town, it's cha-ching, cha-ching, let the machines ring. second pastor said, All, all right, I'll, I'll confess my secret sin. My secret sin is that I just don't like to work. And every Sunday, I copy someone else's sermon. And the third pastor said, well, fellas, my secret sin is gossiping, and I can't wait to get out of this room. <laughs> uh, I want to thank Calvin. Uh, Calvin is one of our own. Thank you last week for bringing some fresh stuff from God's Word. Like, that was so good. The importance of touch, specifically the touch that Jesus brings, is so life-transforming. And I make a commitment to you. To what, what God is going to bring today is fresh. It's not a copy of someone else's stuff. This is fresh that he has given through me, and I'm just a broken vessel leaning on a perfect God. That, and I know, I know without a shadow of doubt that he wants to speak to us through his spirit. And he'll use his spirit to help us understand this, this story that you've heard before. Go out of limb and say, this, this story out of Scripture, you have probably heard this many, many times before. But God has something fresh for us. If you've ever been through our membership class, we talk about our values. And if I'm leading it, and I try to lead it every time, sometimes I can't, I say this. Here's, the, here's what values do. They define who we are and what we hope to become. Values define who we are and what we hope to become. And so we've got three, we've narrowed our values down to three things. One we talked about last week, we value being multi-generational. That we think a multi-generational church is a biblical one and a healthy one. What does that mean? That, mean no matter, that means no matter how old you are, you are essential to what God wants to do here. 
to, to do this thing, this mission that we are called to, to, to go and to make disciples. That is the one mission of the church, by the way. It takes all generations. It takes from the youngest to the oldest. And we all, and in between, we all are essential to what God wants to do. I love that, that as I look around in this service and the next service, and we have kids, a bunch of kids over there right now. I'm sure they're full over there today, and students over there, and we'll fill it again in the second service, multi-generational. Listen, that is not only nice, it is essential, and it is biblical. The second thing is multiplication. We believe that a healthy church is a church that makes disciples that makes disciples. And the byproduct of that is a church that plants churches, healthy churches that plant healthy churches. That's why we are this week sending a team to, to partner with with Gladewater, partnering Gladewater, Texas, to, with Teddy and Marilyn Sorrells and Living Water Church in Gladewater, Texas. Just started last September. Brand new church. Listen, we're the only we're the only church that stepped up this summer to partner with them on mission trip. That's that's awesome for us. Yay, us. That's sad for everybody else. They're going to miss out. They need help. And we believe that multiplication is essential. And that begs us living the third value out, and that is missional. That, that we are a people to live on mission, that we are here, and we have something to offer this world that, that matters, uh, something that, that transforms. And so that, that invites us to God's, to God's plan of mission and transformation, and we are so important. It's so important that we live that out. So multi-generational, multiplication, and missional, those are our values. And as I talk about values, and we're going to read this, this uh, passage from Scripture, Mark chapter 6, verses 30, I want us to look at three values that, that are kingdom values that are taught but, but also modeled for us within our text today. Now, this is the story of the loaves and fish. Remember the story where Jesus multiplied the loaves, the, the five pieces of bread, and the two fish? Isn't that phenomenal we get to read that? Like, how many times have you heard that in your life. I had a friend that posted on Facebook this way, that, that going to Chick-fil-A and using your Chick-fil-A app and redeeming your rewards is a modern-day loaves and fish story. You know, it happened to us last night. I mean, it, it just like food multiplied. Like, we went to Chick-fil-A, uh, me and my wife and my middle son, and, and uh, we went to Chick-fil-A, and I opened my app, and I had enough points to get three shakes, three milkshakes for nothing you see, multiplication. You see, you get some sacred chicken, and then you get some rewards, and then you go back and get free milkshakes. It's amazing, and that's uh, to a much larger scale. That's what we're going to read about today in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Well, that goes back to, if you, uh, not, not, it was like three weeks ago that we talked about. We're walking through this journey through the book of Mark. If you go back and and that was after Jesus sent them out, and they went out, and they were doing all these things, the ministry of Jesus, and teaching as he taught, and doing miracles as he was doing under his authority. And so they're given a report. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. And so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them weaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So what's happening? Not only at this point was Jesus teaching like no one had ever taught and doing things that no one had ever done, he has commissioned his disciples to do the same thing, giving them his authority, and they're doing this. So, so word is getting around and people are sharing and people are, are tracking down so much that, that they can't get away uh, to, to, to rest. 
So many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from the towns and gathered there ahead of them. And when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I'm not going to unpack that today. We talked about this idea of being a shepherd, but we have to note here that these people were predominantly, maybe all at this point, we don't know, could have been some Gentiles in there, but these, for the most part, are Jewish people. This is Jewish country we're talking about. And so these people, they had plenty of priests. They had plenty of rabbis, teachers. They had plenty of religious leaders. But when Jesus looked out upon them, what they did not have was a shepherd. That's what what Mark is trying to communicate through the Holy Spirit to us. When he saw them, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day, so his disciple came, came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So basically saying, they're hungry, Jesus. Send them out so they can get some food. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. Jesus is pretty directive at that point, isn't he? You give them something to eat. And they said to him, that would take more than a half year's wages. This is a lot of people, Jesus. Are we to go spend that much on bread and give give it to them to eat? And Jesus asked, how many loaves do you have? And then he says, go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. We know from parallel stories that they didn't even have that. They had to borrow that from a boy, right? They didn't have nothing. They ain't got nothing. But they found uh, five, five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass Can you imagine what that was like? All these thousands of people following Jesus and Jesus directs them. He's got just this little bit of food and Jesus put them out there and he sat them down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So he's breaking them up in different groups, taking in the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven. He gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up the 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. And the number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. Can you imagine what that was like? Five loaves of bread and two fish fed 5,000 men. If you extrapolate that, it's at least 15,000 people, probably more than that if you add the ladies and the, and the children who were, who were around. And so there's this incredible miracle that, that we have. And the disciples get to see it. They got to see. They're walking with Jesus. Jesus invited them to come follow him. Come follow me. And they're with Jesus seeing all these miracles. And again, they see it with their own eyes that, that Jesus does this miracle. But they still don't get it. They still All the other people around them were asking, like, by what authority is Jesus doing these things? I mean, how is he doing all these miracles? They're still wrapping their minds around it. And and even then, the disciples who were walking with him on a day-to-day basis, they they can't either see what was so special and significant about Jesus. But that really is the main idea of this that they missed that we should get today. The main idea is that Jesus is God, and he can provide everything that we need. And they totally missed it. They're so worried about being tired and so worried about how the people are going to be fed, and they miss the fact that they are walking with Jesus, who is not 100% man only. He is also 100% God, 
and he is able and wants to meet every single need that we have. This story is such an incredible one. It's actually the only miracle that is found in all four Gospels. That's, I think that's pretty substantial. There's some significant truth here, enough so that, that it's shared in all four Gospels. But there's three values I want us to get today. And they're in your notes. You can take some notes, jot down. I always encourage you to do that. Uh, some of us in the room are auditory learners. Some of us are visual learners. Uh, but I think it always helps to do some writing. It helps me to remember these things, some repetition as you hear it. You can also write it. I asked someone uh, a couple of years ago, like, what would you encourage people uh, that you never did that, that, uh, that would help them grow as a disciple of Jesus? The first thing he said is take notes. Come to church and take notes. So like, it's a paper, but utilize it. It's a tool, and it'll be helpful. And I want you to get three values very clearly in this, in this passage. These, these values will do the same thing, that they will define who we are and also help us to become who we hope to become. So the first is this, the value of rest. I have missed this. So many times in this passage, I have missed this kind of passing little part of the story in verse 31. They're tired. People are coming and going. They've been doing ministry. And so Jesus says in verse 31, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. We're reminded again that we must value rest. And we know this already. We've covered this. Jesus did so. He went away, to, away from everybody to get away with the Father. He modeled rest. And, and also we've had to wrestle with, like, what is, a, what is Sabbath for us? We know that in the Old Testament they had the Sabbath and Jews had the Sabbath. But what does that mean for us? We've had to wrestle with that. But I love this statement. Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So not only has Jesus called them to follow him, Jesus is now inviting them to find rest with him. And as they do so, if they do so, they will find rest in him. How's your rest going, my friends? How is your rest? Now we can say we value rest, but if we're not practicing it in our lives, biblical rest, Sabbath rest, then we're, not, we're just not getting it. Jesus chooses them. I don't know if, if how, how many of you guys were Houston Rockets fans back in the 1990s when they won those championships, but I was. I, I, I'm, I'm younger than some in the room that might be fans of the, that team, but I remember as a teenager, I, I watched all of those games when Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler and Charles Barkley won those championships back in those days. Can you all remember any other team members back in those days? Just name a few. Robert Ory, there you go. Come on. Yeah, Vernon Maxwell, Mario, Ellie. Yeah, remember that? Who was the coach? Rudy Tomjanovich. Yeah, all right. So some of you guys are with me. Like, rest of you guys are like, I don't know what you're talking about. And that's okay. But, but here's the truth of that team. How did that team get put together? They were chosen. You have Akeem Olajuwon who was chosen by the Rockets in the draft. Last week was the draft, right? Some of you guys are NBA fans. Last week was the draft. Houston Rockets are in a rebuild phase. I think they have some good draft picks. These people were chosen, some in a draft, 
but some from other teams, but they were chosen, and the disciples were chosen. We can't miss that. But they they were also invited to find rest with and in Jesus. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, remember what that says? Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So not only do we have this invitation to be touched by Jesus that we talked about last week and be transformed by Jesus and finding abundant life in him, but we also have this invitation to find in him rest. And rest is not common these days, is it? The opposite is common. We are encouraged and challenged to do more and to be more all the time. And because of that, we're so busy. We are so busy. We're not good practitioners of this biblical truth of the value of rest. There was a Quaker named George Fox, and he would say this, carry some quiet around inside thee. It's old English, so bear with me. He goes on to say, be still and cool in thy own mind and spirit from thy own thoughts And then thou wilt feel the principle of God to turn thy mind to the Lord from whence cometh life. Whereby thou mayest receive the strength and power to allay all storms and tempests. What he's saying there in my English is, listen, if we want to have victory, if we want to have sustainment and perseverance in the midst of the storm, and we all have our storms today, every one of us in the room, They're all different. They're various, right? But we all have our battles and storms in our life. If we're going to find victory in those things, we find it not in battling more. We find it in resting more in Christ. Phil Melanchthon, the the Reformed theologian, he was good friends with Martin Luther, who that name you probably do know. He said this, This day you and I, to Martin Luther, this day you and I will discuss the governance of the universe. And to that Luther responded in an unexpected way. He said this, This day you and I will go fishing and leave the governance of the universe to God. You see, so many times we work so hard to wrap our minds around things. So many times we work, we work so hard to, to bring things together. But in the end, what rest does for us is to pause regularly in our life, to stop trying to do more and to be more and to know more, and just to rest and to know the one who has it all together. To rest in knowing that, listen, we are not in an out-of-control out of world. There is a God who holds it all together, and he indeed is in control, even though we don't understand that. And I don't. I don't understand it, because I turn the news on, and it's wacko, right? Wacko stuff's happening all the time on the news, and wacko stuff's happening in my life, and in your life too. But God is on his throne, and he is in control. Listen, when we stop and rest in that, that, that is life-giving. So remember the Sabbath and keep it holy is not just an Old Testament truth. It is also for us as well in the New Testament era. It at least means for this, and I'm not going to unpack it all, but for us when we talked about Sabbath, like what does that mean? It at least means for us that we must pause regularly, weekly, if not more, to stop and rest in God and his character in us and to enjoy what he's already given us. How are you doing on that? To be content with what you have already and to enjoy, enjoy God's best. So for me, I gave you a list several months ago. I don't know if y'all remember it. And I'm working on this. I have not mastered this, let's be honest. I'm working on this. What is the God's best for me? 
Well, first, enjoying him and my relationship with him through Jesus Christ. Listen, I have to stop and pause and realize how big a deal that is. Second is my wife. If I'm going to Sabbath and rest as Scripture ascribes, I've got to enjoy my wife. Listen, that's a great thing. This is what we should do. We have to create margins to enjoy the best thing that God's given us. And after that, my kids. Like, this is the order that God has given us, right? Like, there is a biblical responsibility for me to stop and enjoy what God already has, which is so incredible for all of us. And then after that is my church family. I'm enjoying my time with you and and making a commitment to spend time together. And then below that, just kind of going on. But we have to get those things. You see, we have to value rest in our lives. So Jesus says, come with me. I love that. Simple invitation, Jesus says. Hey, just pause and come with me. And the second truth, the second value is the value of compassion. I love this, what's in this text. Jesus modeled for us the the value of compassion. And the, the disciples modeled for us the disvalue of compassion. They didn't have it. They didn't have it here. But Jesus had compassion on these people. That word compassion comes from the, the root word splankna, which we get the same word spleen. It comes from the same root Greek word. And does anybody know where the spleen is? <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. But it's in here. It's in here. So the idea uh, of, of that word is, is translated compassion for us. It's the word splanknizomai, or the root word splankna. The idea is that Jesus was was moved, when he had compassion, he was moved in the gut. When, when he saw these people, and he saw their state where they were like sheep without a shepherd, not only hungry physically, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and they needed a spiritual shepherd to lead them. Jesus was bent over with compassion for them. This word, splankna, is actually translated 12 times for compassion. 11 times, two times is for God when he has compassion on his children, God the Father. And then one time it's used for a person. And that person was the Samaritan that had compassion on the one who had been beaten. And so he entered into that man's life and brought healing and safety for him. That's the only time it's referred to as a person. The other nine times it's referred to Uh, It directed toward Jesus, that Jesus had compassion. And when he had compassion, there was always something significant after that. There was always some miracle. There was always some healing that Jesus saw them in their state, and he was bent over, literally gut-wrenched. He was gut-wrenched in their state, and he was motivated by that compassion to do something about it. Listen, I want to ask you a question. When was the last time you were gut-wrenched by something that you saw and that redirected you to do something about it? That's what happened here. That's what happened to the Samaritan that day. He was gut-wrenched. Like, I got to do something about this. And so Jesus postpones his rest with his disciples. And he modeled for us the value of compassion, which means you have to live an interruptible life. He was interrupted. We have to live interruptible lives. He was redirected to meet the needs of these people. You see, 
before we get to the third one, which is the value of satisfaction, I'll go ahead and give it to you. Before you can get to satisfaction, there's something that motivates that satisfaction that, 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 that Jesus brings to us, and that is compassion. Compassion came before satisfaction in our text here. It is true of Jesus to us. Do you know today that when Jesus sees us, his predisposition toward us is compassion? Even before he sees our mess, even before he sees our hurts, Jesus is predisposed to extend compassion toward us. He he sees our hurt. He, He sees our pain. He sees our need, and he's not okay with that. He's gut-wrenched by it, and he wants to restore. He wants to heal. That is his heart. And so the motivation of this miracle is Jesus' compassion for people. And here's the truth that is a response to that. If we want this world to experience what we hope they experience in Christ, fulfillment and wholeness, our predisposition must be one of compassion too. We must be a compassion first people. Now, little uh, don't don't write me off when I start talking about this because hard things have to be talked about, okay? It's okay. But, But listen to my whole deal before you start judging me, all right? Now, a couple of days ago, the Supreme Court undid Roe v. Wade. Y'all, did y'all know that? Y'all watch the news? We probably all have heard that. Like, this is uh, such a big deal. And what motivated our desire to, to want to see Roe v. Wade overturned? What motivated that? Well, the defense, the compassion for the unborn, these that can't choose for themselves life, right? Like, it, it, it gut-wrenched us. Like, it's, it's one of those things that, that we platform for as well we should. This is an incredible thing, and I see people posting. Like, it, it's, it's an awesome thing. It's such an amazing um, affirmation of the truth that we should be civically-minded people, and we should vote our biblical principles, and the Lord will eventually honor that. And listen, that's a good thing. But that same compassion that we had for these unborn children, we have to realize that that same compassion we had for them, we also must have for those who don't think the same as we do. Ooh, wait a minute. And so even the way we respond to the way people are responding to that in a negative way matters. It should be our predisposition of compassion. When the world sees us, when when the world that doesn't understand the grace and compassion of Jesus Christ, nor do they understand the worldview of Scripture that so roots us and gives us a life, when we see them, our response should not be first and foremost to, to lead them to know what we know and to teach what we teach, but their their response should be to see our compassion. Our compassion, just as Jesus modeled to us. We must have a, a posture of being a compassionate people. Our goal is not to get people to be right. Our goal is that they would come to know the only one who can make them right. And that's not me. And that's not you. That's Jesus alone.
He makes us righteous in God's eyes. He gives us his righteousness. Not a one of us are faultless, but he is. And so as we keep things in perspective, we today need to respond to our world. No matter what they say about us, no matter what they say toward us, we must extend and be predisposed to be a compassionate people. You see, this world needs to genuinely see a people marked by this kind of compassion. They need not only hear it, they need to see it manifested by the way we respond to the world. They need to say, in my 90s vernacular, they don't need to say, dude, that guy or that gal is so right. They need to be saying, dude, I can't believe it. That guy is so compassionate. And that gal is so compassionate. You see, Jesus modeled for us the value of compassion. It's the motivation of this miracle that we're talking about. But the third is this, the value of satisfaction. The scripture says there in verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied. Have you ever been so satisfied in your life that you couldn't be in want anymore of anything else? Interesting question. The word for satisfied here is a, it's kind of a fun one. It is the word chortazo is the root word. It's a longer word, but chortazo is the root word for satisfied. And, and, and the picture, is, it's, it's funny. It refers to animals eating hay. That's what it refers to. But not only that, it refers to an, an animal that has have a whole lot of hay in their life. And so if you're Spanish, it might be like gordo. Like if you know what that is, this is a healthy cow. That's the picture. Like, like this is a cow who's had a lot of hay. And this is a healthy, fulfilled, satisfied. When you look at a cow, <clears throat> as you drive home today, if you see a cow, you're going to see a cow that either is uh, lean and you can see its ribs. And that is not chortazo. That is unchortazo. All right? But if you see one who is healthy and is, as we would say, is fat, like that actually is a really good thing for a farmer. You want the fattest cows you can get because fat cows are a happy cow. Fat cows are healthy cows. And so that word is, it's kind of a funny one. When, when the, the Spirit told Mark to use this word, they were satisfied. And, and what it means is that they not only were full, they were fulfilled. Are you with me? They not only got some food, they experienced something that day that was so much deeper than what we can put when we put a Big Mac in our mouth. Now, if you like those, that may be fulfilling to you, to your, to your stomach. But there is something so much deeper happening here. And it's a moving from Jesus being just what you need, but he is what you need, to being all that you need. You see, that's the difference. You see, the, it seems like a little bit of semantics, right? But you may have got a little bit of Jesus, and he is what you need. And when you get touched by Jesus, as we learned last week, it changes everything, right? But when you get a taste, and you taste and see that the Lord, of, Lord is good, you will not be able to get enough of him. Because you go from just experiencing Jesus to being Jesus being all 
that we need. And I asked myself the question, like, what does that look and sound like? And I got the answer this morning. You know, I ask these questions to myself. You know, self. You ever ask questions of yourself? All the time, I'm asking questions of myself. Like, what does being satisfied look like? What does it sound like? I'm going to see if I can get this to work, y'all. So I have a friend I shared several months ago when, when this Ukraine war started. Jennifer and I were in the Ukraine six years ago. We made some friends. And uh, we got to see, in Lviv, Ukraine, we got to see the first baptism of this church called Disciples Church. What a gift to us that was. And I followed them. I followed them every day. I see posts of this pastor. And his name is Elise Pronin. And as I asked this question, uh, he's all the time posting what's happening. Just uh, overnight, last night, their area was bombed with 40 bombs. Can you imagine what that's like? Being in an area like would have been, I just can't imagine that. The fear that they must be living in. So what does satisfied sound like? Let me play it. I could show it to you. I could show you what it looks like when people are satisfied. Because satisfaction does not depend on our circumstances. Satisfaction ex- depends on our connection and relationship to Jesus. And what you heard there was a people who have experienced Jesus. And that has prompted them to sing in their native tongue, which happens to be Ukrainian. They're singing in Ukrainian here. And they're singing a song called The Stand. And this part is the little, uh, little bridge. And, and it means in English, it's I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned. And they're doing that in the video. They're just doing this. The, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in the midst of bombs all around them, y'all. They're, they're gathering to worship, not ashamed, not in fear, gathering together, bigger than they are now than they were months ago. Because... This that they've experienced has caused them to have compassion on all these people coming their way because they're kind of the gateway to Poland on the way out. They're loving on all of these people who are trying to get out of them. So they're saying, I'll stand with arms high and heart abandoned in awe of the one who gave it all. So I'll stand, my soul, Lord, to you surrendered. All I am is yours. And so a people that are satisfied, that's what it sounds like. That's what it looks like. When we experience Jesus as our all, our only response is to sing a song and to live a life that says, Jesus, I'll give you my all. That's what they're doing. You see, when we experience the compassion of Jesus, it's, it, they're not mutually exclusive. They're so hand in hand. We will automatically want to connect more to him but then also extend that compassion to others. So we learn the value of rest. We learn the value of compassion. And then we learn the value of satisfaction. And Jesus was 
early on in his ministry in John chapter 4. I know we're in the book of Mark, but let me jump to, Mark chapter, to John chapter 4. You probably heard the story of the, the Samaritan woman at the well. And she was living in sin. She met Jesus there. He knew all the sin that she was in. And they were in a conversation, and Jesus was trying to explain what he, who he was and what he had come to do. And there they were at the well. And the band's going to come up. It's be a good time for you guys to come up. And we're going to respond to this. However God leads. They're trying to figure this out. Like, there's this physical water. But Jesus says in verse 13 of John chapter 4, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Right there at that well, looking down in that well. Everybody who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, man, that's such a rich truth. Jesus is the living water. Water brings life. Water alone in this world will bring life, and Jesus alone will bring eternal life. Jesus is the living water. And when we taste of him, there's within us a wellspring of life. I love that, a wellspring. I know a guy who, who, who planted a church in the Waco area. China Springs Church is called Wellspring Church. What a great name for a church. But listen to the response after Jesus said this. The woman said to him, Sir, give me that water. I want it now. And maybe you're here today, and as we talked about satisfaction, you're like, man, I'm not sure if I've ever been completely satisfied with any, anything in my life. I can never, I cannot say uh, as I look back on my life, that I have been completely fulfilled in my life. May I invite you today to experience Jesus because he is the living water. He is the one who can bring hope and life and meet you where you are. In his compassion, he can give you all that you need. And when you meet him, you will experience what? What these people experienced that day when they experienced Jesus, complete and utter satisfaction. And if you have questions about that, may I encourage you to take that connection card on the back. There's a place I'd like to talk to a pastor or I'd like more information on finding hope in Jesus. Would you indicate one of those things? And what in the world do you do with that connection card, y'all? You put it in the offering box on the way out and we'll follow up. I'd love to talk to you about that. But if you have met Jesus, there is a challenge for us as well. If you are seeking things beyond Jesus in your life for your fulfillment, there is an invitation and a challenge for us to repent. To say, Jesus, I've been pursuing other things in my life. I, whatever that is, gain, money, anything else that you might pursue, relationships, whatever that is, is to stop and say, Jesus, I, I know, I know that, that you are the only one who can satisfy me, but I'm not living that way. And so the scripture begs us, all of us who are in Christ today, to search our own lives and search our own hearts and say, Jesus, I've been pursuing other things, but I know better. I know you are the only one who can sustain. I know you are the only one who can satisfy. So Jesus, I repent. I was going this way. I'm going this way. And forgive me of that, that, that today. And I'm going to put an anchor down. This is an anchor moment in my life that I am going today to choose you alone as my all and all. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. It's so good. It's so rich. It's so inviting and so challenging. God, I pray through your spirit that you would speak to each one of us, even in this moment as we are asked to respond. 
remind us anew of how compassionate you are to us. Give us understanding of what's happening around us, God, that give us the ability to respond to everyone in a compassionate way that will be redeeming and winsome. And Jesus, give us this day the spiritual fortitude, the, the, the boldness to cast off our idols and say, Jesus, I need you and I want you and you alone. You satisfy. You alone. So you, I choose you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.